0: Welcome to the ABC's To Live Your Dope Life. This is an opportunity to be a fly on the wall while I engage with some of the most fascinating, inspiring and brilliant people I know who have played a direct or indirect role in my own healing and continued growth process. The change process is not easy, comfortable or nearly as fast as so many of us wish it would be. And my hope with this podcast is to instill some playfulness simple tools to practice, and ultimately, a place for you to recognize that you are not alone. A dope life is one that is aligned with who you truly desire to be, and a congruency between what is deep beneath the surface and what shows above the surface. It's the real, the raw, the complexities of our light and our shadows. The only thing that is ever truly in your way is you. Join me on this journey as we continue to grow stronger together. It's time to live your dope life. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. This is Maren McHugh, and I am flying solo today. I'm really excited to um, be bringing in the topic of breath once again. It has been, I think, over a month since I released an episode Um, that was uh, a little immature in its release. Um, I was just so excited about what I was learning and practicing and really felt the need to um, practice my articulation and put it out into the world, and I'm glad that I did. Um, And this will be the 2.0 version of that episode. I um, have a few notes in front of me this time, and uh, I have been practicing daily, researching daily um, and practicing my articulation of of this complex and important topic of what is it to breathe well? This question has been on my mind for years. Uh, Anytime I heard proper breathing or to breathe well, it would just, you know, I would stop and really get confused, (laughs) like, what does that mean? How do I know if I'm breathing well? Um, what, what do I need to be paying attention to? And, you know, there's so many different breath techniques that all serve a very important purpose. But if you're not really clear on why you're practicing a certain technique, then it's just one of those experiences where like, yeah, I felt good doing that or that activated me. I felt stressed or I felt like I couldn't breathe. And then you walk away with, well, that was an experience, but I don't really know how that's going to integrate into my life or what I'm supposed to know about myself or about breathing. So that question has been my catalyst in really diving deep into this breath work. And you know, I I even posted on my Instagram a few weeks ago, a picture of myself with packing tape across my mouth, um, which was my interpretation my version of mouth taping for sleep and realized after a couple of weeks that I was being far too extreme it's not necessary to completely cover my mouth um, and using packing tape there are some toxins in that tape and I would wake up in the morning and I was like oh my mouth tastes funny so I, uh, (laughs) I realized after that that you know slow and steady always is the way to actually create some sustainable healthy habits and and not only was I being extreme with my mouth taping but I was also being extreme in my breath practice. I had discovered CO2 tolerance and realized in my own testing that I had extremely low CO2 tolerance and I'll get into a little bit more detail in a moment here. Um, but what I did with that information was become overzealous with daily static apnea practices, which is um, holding your breath in in stillness uh, on land, obviously. So this comes from free divers. They will do this as a practice to develop their ability to hold their breath for longer underwater. And I was not honoring the importance of... Uh, Again, slow and steady and mild air hunger versus extreme air hunger. And what that did was actually tip me into further activation and overwhelm. And my poor husband had to deal with uh, me just being a little bit of a stress case for uh, a couple weeks, maybe longer. Um, So really important experience for me, though. Uh, this is a lesson that I need to learn in many different areas of my life, and I don't regret one piece of what I've been through in these last couple months in this practice. It's been very eye-opening, and I am now much more clear on how to be softer and gentler in the practice of increasing my tolerance to carbon dioxide fluctuations. So maybe a good place to start with this would be um, rhythm. I find uh, this this aspect of breathing really, really fascinating. So the the respiratory um, generator, or the se- the respiratory central pattern generator, or respiratory generator, it resides in your brainstem, and this is the part of the brain that is uh, directing your body to breathe in whatever pace um, you're breathing in when you're not paying attention to it, right? So. There's conscious breathing, where you are deliberately paying attention to your breath and modulating it, and then there's also the way you breathe when you're not paying attention to it. Okay? So, this respiratory central pattern generator is what's controlling your breath when you're not paying attention to it or when you're watching it and not trying to manipulate it. And it is also in the same area of the brain that is called the reticular activating system. And Every piece of stimuli, internally and externally, moves into this RAS, reticular activating system, and then moves into the brain, into the thalamus, which can be thought of as like the mail room of the brain. The stimuli goes into the thalamus, and then from there, the pertinent information is dispersed based on um, importance on expectation, assumption, belief, uh, what has been perceived as important information, which is quite subjective. So what's interesting is that 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 bloom of stimuli moving into the thalamus can happen at a really quick rate, and it can also happen at a little bit of a slower rate. So you can think of it almost like a metronome. And when that internal metronome is moving, let's start with quick, so say it's moving really quick that's usually associated with a stress response. You know, a lot is coming at you and you need to process it really, really quickly. So when you're in that kind of state, the metronome is moving really quick. The sense of I becomes much larger, whether you want to call that the ego or or really just a stress response, because at this point you're in a survival mechanism. So the sense of I is really important. How is this impacting me? What am I noticing? What am I feeling? Uh, Who am I? Oh, how, how do I relate to all these things that I'm perceiving, thinking about, feeling? So the sense of I becomes really big. Now, if the internal metronome is moving a little bit slower, you could equate that to, you know, being quite relaxed or moving really, really slow. It could also be uh, a shutdown response, which I can get into as well. Um, and what's really important here is to recognize that what the internal system is trying to do is actually match appropriately, the internal with the external. So for example, if the internal metronome is moving really quick, but the external stimuli, the situations around you feel like they're moving really slow, you might find yourself being really impatient, acting out really quickly, um, you know, standing in line and just being like agitated, why is everything moving so slow? Why did I get in this line? You know, we can Again, the sense of I becomes really big because the internal metronome is moving quick and we might perceive the external environment as moving really slow. So this could even be like you sit down to meditate or to practice your breath and uh, and because maybe you're in a really agitated state, the internal metronome is moving really quick, you've shut down as much stimuli around you as possible because you're about to meditate or practice your breath work and you might actually just feel super agitated, annoyed, like I need to do something, I need to get out of here. Which is such a normal part of the process of slowly bringing yourself back down, but so often we start feeling that and we just go, "Oh, now it's not the right time. I, I can't meditate. I can't, I can't practice my breathing." So, if the internal metronome is moving really slow and everything around you feels like it's moving really quick, then that also is showing that it's not matched up appropriately, right? So, appropriate can be thought of um, as proprioception. Proprioception is how do I know where I am in time and space? Where am I in time and space? Right? And we want it to be appropriate. We want to be able to, you know, be able to gauge where we are physically, mentally, and emotionally um, with as much appropriate um, information as possible. So with our interoception, which is our ability to really feel what's going on internally, and our extroception, which is to you know, gauge what's going on around us, be able to feel the space around us. We use these two modes of knowing, of sensing, to develop our proprioception, to know where we are appropriately, right? So back to the breath. When we find that consistently the internal metronome is not lining up with what's going on externally, that's when we become clear that, okay, I need to start practicing a new way of breathing. Because it's very possible that you your body has developed a habit of breathing that is not actually appropriate for the moment that you're in. And for a very good reason. You know, the body is amazing. It adapts beautifully. It's so wise. You know, it, it, it it's trying to help you. It's trying to help you survive. So none of this information is about berating yourself or thinking you're doing it wrong or you know something's wrong with me why would I be breathing this quick when I'm just sitting and reading or you know I'm watching tv why why did I stop breathing these are all really really fascinating things that the body does trying to protect you but most of us are just not breathing properly so the way this happens is you know in our past something happened And our body responded to it by um, either bracing, holding our breath, kind of disassociating, like this is too much, I need to go somewhere else. And or we might react with um, really getting amped up, breathing quicker and like getting ready to to fight or to run. And many of us have both of these patterns because often we get really amped up, we're ready to fight or run, we're in hyperarousal and we can't get away, or the situation doesn't change. You know, we're kind of stuck in maybe a a dangerous or overstimulating environment. And so the body's next line of defense is shut down, disassociate. So again, these are really wonderful adaptations. But when we get stuck in them, that's when we um, encounter problems. So this respiratory central pattern generator it can get locked into uh, an inappropriate way of breathing because we spent a a long period of time breathing inappropriately and the body adapts and basically says like oh this is the new normal this is the way i'm breathing so i'm going to adjust adjust everything within my system to match this pattern of breathing and and this is where we can get into co2 and uh, oxygen levels because this plays a big part in understanding what's happening with your breath. So we often talk a lot about the importance of oxygen. Obviously, it's important. We need oxygen. But the lesser known and talked about component is carbon dioxide. We need 5% to 7.5% of carbon dioxide in our lungs and blood to be able to actually absorb the oxygen that's in our blood we could have 99% blood oxygen levels. And if we don't have enough carbon dioxide, we're still gonna be oxygen deprived. So the way that this really impacts people is that if, if you are an overbreather, I am an overbreather. So I have, uh, because of just the anxiety I experienced, um, a lot of uh, ADHD symptoms growing up, um, being an elite athlete, my whole life was around overbreathing, and and I just didn't know any better. I didn't know what the proper way to breathe was, so it was all about deep breaths. And um, you know, anytime I became short of breath, it was just open my mouth and keep breathing. And over time, what this did was it taught my body that um, anytime CO2 levels started to creep back up to actually optimal levels, my body saw it as Uh, a danger sign. It would get into a little bit of a panic response, and then I would start to overbreathe a little bit more to expel that carbon dioxide and get it back down to what my body had adapted to as a lower level. So a lot of the mental health issues I had for 20 plus years, ADHD symptoms, really poor focus, um, impulsive behavior, I am now seeing from this new lens of my body had such low tolerance to CO2 that I just was constantly in this battle of overbreathing and keeping me in a state of um, slight to severe activation all the time. So we need to be able to recognize um, where we're at when it comes to CO2 tolerance and a great way that you can test this is to take a few moments just to get comfortable and connect with your breath. And, you know, I'll describe this. I don't expect you to do this right now, but this is something you can check on later and, and, and to do consistently for one week to get a gauge of what the median, um, medium number is because it's not like you do this test once and then you have your, your score or your number. Um, it'll change slightly each day. And it's a great thing to do first thing in the morning when you wake up. So you take a few breaths. And there's two ways to do this, actually, and you're welcome to do both and see what works for you. So the first one is at the top of an inhale. And it's not how full can I get my lungs, deep, deep inhale, just a regular breath. So that might be like 80 to 90% of your full capacity. When we're just breathing normally, we're not filling our lungs to our fullest capacity. So after a few breaths at the top of your inhale, when you're ready to exhale, that's when you would press a timer to start timing yourself. And then you see how slow can I make this exhale last? really lengthening that exhale for as long as possible, not holding your breath in between little exhales. It's a smooth exhale the entire time. Now you're either going to get to the bottom of the exhale when you're empty and hit stop then on the timer, or you might find that as you're lengthening, drawing out this exhale, your body might actually just make you breathe. You might feel a, a spasm in your diaphragm and you're just like, whoa! I just breathed in a little bit or a lot. So you'd hit the stop button then. So that'll give you an amount of time of how long you were able to draw out your exhale before your body said, breathe. Now, another way you can do this is um, what Patrick McEwen calls the bolt score. And this would be, again, taking a few regular breaths. But then this time it's at the bottom of your exhale. So at the bottom of your regular exhale, it's not how empty can I get my lungs. It's just the natural conclusion of a natural exhale for you at this point in time. And you'd hit the timer to start right at the bottom of your exhale, and you hold your breath with empty lungs, relaxing around the emptiness, just being completely still, holding that breath at the bottom of your exhale. And what you'll this one can be a little bit more subjective because it's not about how long can I hold my breath to the point where when you take your next inhale it's this wild gasp for air. We're just looking for mild air hunger. So that point where like your diaphragm might spasm or or you just feel your body tense up where it's your body saying it's time to breathe. And that's when you press stop on the timer and allow yourself to breathe. And that first breath in after your breath hold, it should be um, relatively calm. Again, if it's a really hysterical breath in, then you held for too long and you're not actually getting a realistic BOLT score, which is the blood oxygen level test. So either one of these tests work, you just want to use one consistently. And what this shows you is your body's ability to tolerate carbon dioxide increasing, right? Because whether you're, you're holding your breath, when you're holding your breath, your carbon dioxide is elevating because carbon dioxide is um, constantly being created inside your body. Um, as part of metabolism in every cell. It's what's um, generated from metabolism and and that's what you exhale out, right? So holding your breath just means that's slowly increasing before you can do anything about it. Now on the other end, this is what really confused me at first is, well, why would a long exhale also be increasing my level of carbon dioxide? It didn't make sense to me because if we're exhaling, we're exhaling out carbon dioxide. But this is the piece that I was missing is that each inhale you take in, that's when the exchange of oxygen and carbon dioxide that's currently in your body happens, right? On the inhale, the exchange happens. As you exhale the, that first breath in, you're now just exhaling the carbon dioxide that just was brought into the blood cells and then brought into your lungs to be exhaled. So as you lengthen that exhale, Yes, you are exhaling carbon dioxide. You're exhaling the carbon dioxide that just traveled into your lungs from that breath right before. But you're not just constantly exhaling out all of your carbon dioxide in that one breath. So as you're exhaling that one breath, there's still carbon dioxide elevating in your body, getting ready for the next breath to be an exchange of oxygen and carbon dioxide. So if anything, else, anyone else was confused about that Um I hope that kind of explained it. It took me a really long time to grasp that. Um, Let me know, though. I can explain it further. And actually, in the book, Breath by James Nestor, he has a beautiful analogy that he uses to describe this process of oxygen and carbon dioxide exchanging. So that's definitely worth checking out. Um, And I have it written out. If you email me, I'll send it to you. Okay, so back to breathing. Breathing. So when it comes to carbon dioxide and oxygen, um, you know, I've talked a little bit about now of well when we have a really low tolerance to carbon dioxide. Uh, when it starts, when the carbon dioxide starts to elevate, that's when our body starts to have that mild panic because it's not um, habituated even to healthy levels of carbon dioxide. So it forces you to continue to over expel out more of that carbon dioxide. It becomes this negative feedback loop. Now, if we're going to change the baseline for our respiratory centered pattern, central pattern generator, we need to do 8 to 12 minutes of very conscious breathing uh, where we develop mild air hunger. And it needs to be between 8 to 12 minutes because that's when we've done it long enough that the respiratory central pattern generator resets. Each time you do this every single day, you sit down and you find mild air hunger and you stay with it for 8 to 12 minutes, your body recognizes, oh, this is safe. So that mild air hunger is really just the feeling of um, carbon dioxide increasing. It's telling you that you need to breathe more, but you're actually fine. Like That's part of the process with, with this is changing your relationship with that feeling of mild air hunger. When you think that it means something's wrong or you're not getting enough oxygen, we can actually induce panic. But when you understand that, no, this is okay. I have more than enough oxygen. And if I stay with this and allow my carbon dioxide to just continue increasing slightly, it does not need to be terribly uncomfortable. And actually, in fact, I would encourage you not to go into the realm of it being terribly uncomfortable, especially in the beginning. Otherwise, you're not going to continue with this. And you're creating stress in your system, more stress than what's necessary, right? So we want to find that fine line where it's it's slightly uncomfortable, but it's totally bearable. And it actually will just help you stay focused on it. So you're going to be in this hyper-focused, relaxed state, which also is having a lot of benefits for your body. So one of the ways that I've been practicing this is um, really paying attention to the amount of air I'm breathing in. So uh, when I'm sitting down to do this mild air hunger practice, um, I also have some practices for walking. And um, checking out Patrick McEwan's book, uh, The Oxygen Advantage, will give you lots of different practices. And, and this is something that I'm, I'm supporting people one-on-one with as well, if you're interested. But where I would suggest you start is Well, first of all, you might sit down and find that just slowing your breath down might feel like mild air hunger. So start with that. No breath holds. Just breathe slower. That might be terribly uncomfortable for you. Depending on where you are in terms of your carbon dioxide tolerance, what your BOLT score is, if it's really low, uh, you need to be really, really gentle with yourself in this process. So yeah, starting really slow breathing. So a good way of, of doing that would be, you know, once you're really just, without trying to manipulate your breath at first, you're just checking in with, okay, what, is feel, what feels like a natural breath for me in this moment? Breathing through your nose. You're just checking in. Noticing the tempo, the pace, the intensity. Do I have to occasionally like take a full, full breath in just to feel a little bit of relaxation? So you're just kind of just taking inventory on your natural breath at this point in time and if you can get into counting the duration just to get a a bit of a number of okay in general how long is my inhale and how long is my exhale so once you've landed on a number of let's say for example you notice that okay in general my my is around four seconds and my exhale is around four seconds So then you would, without trying to bring in more air, just see if you can make it last a little longer. Like, see if you can stretch it to five seconds in, five seconds out. So if doing that produces mild air hunger, that becomes your practice. Okay, doing that for, and if eight to 12 minutes feels overwhelming, then forget those numbers and start with 30 seconds and if you do that every single day, you're going to slowly build up the capacity to extend it longer and longer. So this is, again, not about how quick can I um, increase my carbon dioxide t- uh, tolerance. This is about what will I do daily? What will I enjoy a little bit? What's going to help me actually connect with myself? That more matters more than anything else. So in this example, let's say you do five seconds in, five seconds out, and you actually still feel quite calm. Like it actually feels good. It's it's even uh, down-regulating you a little bit. You can do it pretty easily, it's feeling good. So then you would get into a little bit of breath retention at the bottom of the exhale. So maybe you do five seconds in, five seconds out, breath hold for two seconds. And then on your next inhale, you wanna make sure again that it's not one of those uh, really intense gasps for air. That would tell you that, okay, I've, I've pushed a little too far because we need this to be still slow and smooth. I find it really helpful to have my hand on my belly and on my chest when I'm doing these breath techniques so that if I do find that it's you know right on that edge where it's a little bit intense and if I'm not paying attention the inhale can be quite abrupt, quick, intense. So having my hands on my body not only keeps me in my body but it gives me a little bit of feedback so as I'm taking that breath in I can even push my hand on my belly a little bit to help it stay nice and slow. So in this example, again, let's say you're doing five seconds in, five seconds out, two second hold, and you're doing that and it's no problem. Again, it's even maybe making you feel like this is calming me down even more. Like I feel quite grounded. This feels good. So then you know, okay, I can maybe take this a little bit further. So the next step would be shorten the inhale a little bit. So maybe it's a three or four second inhale, and then five or six second exhale, and then two second hold. So you continue going in this direction until you find that line where, okay, I've met some mild air hunger. And where you can take it further and further is, okay, now it's like a two or three second inhale. Okay, I'm exhaling for about six to eight seconds. And then I'm holding my breath for five seconds, six seconds, 10 seconds. But what you want to do is find something that you can develop a rhythm with. So if you can, for one breath, do two seconds in, eight seconds out, hold for 10 seconds, but then you can't get back into that rhythm for several breaths, well, two options here. One could be, okay, well, you do it for one round, and then you take two or three just really soft regular breaths, and then you do it again. If you are still remaining in that mild air hunger zone, then that's a great rhythm to continue. In general, I found it best to find a rhythm that I can do every single breath. Where, you know, the inhale, for example, right now for me, it's about inhale is like four seconds, exhale is about six to seven seconds, and then I hold for about four to five. And I can do that consistently for eight to 12 minutes so again it really is about rhythm have fun with it play with it find something that feels good for you that you're developing a rhythm because your rhythm is connected to your sense of self and rhythm is so important your body and your brain loves rhythm if it feels chaotic if it feels stressful intensely stressful a little bit of stress is fine but if it feels chaotic like it's overwhelming then you're going to be pushing yourself through this practice and it's actually not going to have the positive benefits that you might be hoping for. So I keep coming back to this slow down to speed up. Okay, it's not about a finish line. There's always more. This is something we can continue to develop. But basically what you're doing in this practice of consciously under breathing is really what breath retention is, is that you are consciously stepping into a slight stress response. And these breath techniques can go into pretty wild and intense realms. Um, But for what we're speaking about, what I'm speaking about right now is, you know, mild stress. But by choosing that consciously, stepping into it and staying with it, you're noticing you're having a stress response. You're noticing the sensations in your body. You're staying with the rhythm of your breath. So even though your body is a little bit activated, that rhythm, helps your body know you're not in danger. And this starts to change your body's relationship with stress. This is how one of the ways we can widen our window of tolerance, how we can strengthen our vagal tone, um, about increasing our heart rate variability. All of these things are synonymous. It's about our ability to be in a stress response without going into a strategy to cope with it. Avoid it, numb, disassociate, um, dominate it. All these things we do that are really wise and amazing things to handle stress. But what we want to do in these practices is teach our body that I can be with this. It's safe to have a little bit of activation or even a lot of activation. I can be with it. I can breathe through it. I can be curious about it. And over time, this completely shifts our ability to stay in our body in stressful moments throughout the day so that we can regulate ourselves that much quicker. And that's the key with this is we're not trying to avoid stress. This is not about being completely calm and content and peaceful all day long. You're know, you alive. There's going to be stressful situations. We're going to move into hyperarousal and into hypoarousal. And they serve very important purposes. But we just don't want to get stuck. We want to be able to learn what we need to learn and get into action and regulate ourselves so that we can continuously come back into that window of tolerance and expand the window of tolerance so that we can stay grounded even when these activating experiences come in. So one of the common questions that I hear when I'm speaking about um, over-breathing is, well, what if I'm an underbreather and I am also an underbreather. And this is actually something that you'll find is that for a lot of people who are overbreathers, they also have bouts of underbreathing because it's again coming back into the nervous system of you spend too much time in chronic activation and hyperarousal. The next line of defense is shut down, which would be underbreathe or even having apnea while awake, like just unconscious to the fact that you've stopped breathing. So, when it comes to that, if you're finding that that's your pattern, that in general, you just don't feel like you're breathing enough, a lot of the practices are going to be very similar as what we would do if you were an overbreather, because it's just saying that your nervous system is not responding appropriately to what's actually happening around you in general. You are in a trauma response or a stress response, and your body keeps shutting down. You keep going somewhere. You're disassociating, you're not present. And what can happen over time with unconscious underbreathing is that uh, a lot of your bodily systems just stop working because your diaphragm is really important in a lot of the workings, the healthy workings of your entire system. The diaphragm is this beautiful muscle, and there's actually six diaphragms in your body. And the two that are commonly talked most about when it comes to breathing would be the respiratory diaphragm, that um, sheet of muscle that's attached below your heart and lungs and comes down to the lowest or the first rib. It works like a pump, it's a transverse plane in your body. And there's also the, um, the pelvic diaphragm or pelvic floor. And for a proper breath, we want these two diaphragms to be moving together in sync so that your entire intrinsic core is being moved and flushed with each breath. Every internal organ is getting a massage with each breath. So this plays a huge part as well in your lymphatic system, your body's ability to um, to take toxins out of out of different areas of your body and actually expel them or store them away. If we don't have this really strong Diaphragmatic movement, then things just get stuck. Things are not moving properly. So, over time with chronic underbreathing, unconscious underbreathing, it's basically like things are just not moving as much as they should be or could be moving. And, you know, use it or lose it. So, the diaphragm actually becomes um, less robust, it's not as strong. Every other part of your body is now working overtime. It's making up for the the, the missed energy of, of the diaphragm pumping. Even your heart has to work harder. You know, just a diaphragm that's moving healthily is actually helping the pumping of your heart. So when that one system, the breath is not working as strongly as it could, everything else is working overtime. And so you can imagine that imbalance has um, some pretty negative effects over time as well. So, you know, imagine this, um, what would I call it, like a a grid, but it only has four boxes. Okay, so we've got four boxes, two on top, two on bottom. On the left hand side of um, this, we've got unconscious and conscious. And then on top, on the two boxes, we have overbreathing and underbreathing. There is a time and a place to consciously practice underbreathing and consciously practice overbreathing. In either realm, if you are unconsciously underbreathing or unconsciously overbreathing, over time that's going to create some problems. So when I'm speaking about overbreathing and underbreathing, this is about a conscious choice. And it really is about increasing your tolerance to carbon dioxide fluctuations, increasing your tolerance for stress activation, even hypoarousal states to be able to stay in your body and be with the response. And as James Nestor so beautifully says in his book is that to breathe well well is to, in general, breathe less. And occasionally breathe more. And really what that's about is we want a robust diaphragm. You know, occasionally it's really good to breathe hard, whether you're exercising or doing a very deliberate conscious over-breathing activity. You know, it's like you're pumping your muscles. You're really getting things going. You're moving. You're consciously activating your entire system so that you can then down-regulate and experience actual complete calm. Versus, as James says in his book, for most of us, we are walking around all day long with just a little bit of stress in our system, and that just starts to wreak havoc, right? So consciously over-breathing for these short periods of time strengthens the diaphragm, really gives your entire body a workout, and then you experience real calm and down-regulation afterwards. Consciously under-breathing by doing, um, again, for some people might be just slowing your breath down, could feel like mild air hunger. Moving into breath retention techniques. Consciously under-breathing is going to support your ability to handle the increase of carbon dioxide. And in general, it's going to teach your body that it can breathe less more often. For many people, we're breathing, it's like 14 to 20 breaths per minute, and ideally six to eight breaths per minute is optimal, but it's conscious six to eight breaths. This is about really being in your body, and over time, conscious doing becomes the new subconscious way of being, so slowing your breath down in general is going to make it so that that's the way that you're breathing in general throughout the day. But a slow conscious breath is still like, it's still deep in the sense that your whole body is breathing. Six to eight breaths when you're experiencing hypoarousal is not the same as six to eight breaths when you are aware and breathing slowly and deliberately. It actually takes a lot of strength in the intrinsic core and the diaphragm. Hmm. All right. Well, I've shared a lot, and I hope that was helpful. I know there's more I can share, and actually, one of the things I did want to talk about was nitric oxide. I mentioned it very briefly in the in the last episode, um, but I didn't have really concrete and details of what it was or why it was important. I was just like, "It's so important." I don't remember why. Uh, so, nitric oxide is a very important um, component of the, again, the healthy workings of every bodily system. There is a reservoir of nitric oxide in your nasal cavities. And so that's one of the first things is that you only really get this uh, amazing chemical if you are nasal breathing. Mouth breathers are not gonna get it. So if you are someone who um, breathes through your mouth quite often You might find that mild air hunger for you is actually just spending five minutes where all you do is breathe through your nose and that would be a beautiful place to start to slowly build up your ability to breathe through your nose. For a lot of people who've spent a lot of time breathing through the mouth, when we first start breathing through the nose it actually feels really um, closed up and again use or lose it. It actually does start to close up more and more when you're not breathing through it but our amazing body can adapt really beautifully. Nitric oxide itself is a vasoregulator, so it starts to open up pathways in the body, including the nasal cavities. So a really cool exercise you can try is at the bottom of your exhale, hold your breath for even like three seconds. And then slow inhale through the nose. And then again, exhale. Do this three times where you hold at the bottom for a few seconds and then a slow inhale in. What you might notice is that by holding your breath at the bottom of your exhale, the nitric oxide is building up in that reservoir of the nasal cavities. So as you take that slow inhale, you want to give that breath a lot of time, all the air molecules to um, attract in the nitric oxide to then move through your body. So each breath that you do that, you might find not only your nose opens up, but your whole body just feels a little bit calmer, more open. Another thing you can do is hum on your exhale and really draw out that exhale to the bottom and allow that hum to become quiet. Do that three times on your exhale would be really great to try breathing through your nose before and then do those three hums and then breathe through your nose after that. And humming also produces more nitric oxide, makes it easier for us to breathe through the nose. So nitric oxide plays an important role in increasing your overall energy and stamina and libido. It improves circulation and oxygenation through vasoregulation, the opening of blood vessels versus vasoconstriction, which would be the closing of blood vessels. It improves your muscular recovery. This has been really fascinating for me since I've committed to only breathing through my nose, um, unless I'm talking, like I'm only breathing through my nose. And even in exercise, and this is something that if your BOLT score is really, really low, if you have very low carbon dioxide tolerance, um, committing to breathing through your nose in exercise is going to be a rude awakening. If you're already someone who exercises, um, it will completely change your ability to push your body to maybe the limits that you are used to. But it's really, really important. Slow down, get to the point where you can stay breathing through your nose And then you slowly build your exercise regime back up, um, ensuring that you can continue with nasal breathing. If you really love pushing yourself, getting into those anaerobic zones, then maybe there's a few minutes of your exercise where you get to that point where you have to open your mouth to breathe. But like 90 to 95% of your workout should be nasal breathing. So that's another next step you can get into when you're used to just breathing through your nose. Then you go into, well, I'm going to go do a brisk walk and see if I can breathe through my nose everything it's like learning to do everything once again Um, nitric oxide also plays an important role in homeostasis so um, the ability to keep your blood saturation levels um, optimal so as you continue to practice increasing your co2 tolerance breathing through your nose actually limits the amount of air that you can bring in it supports you in slowing your breath down you know, you open your mouth and breathe, you're bringing in a lot of air, inhale and exhale. The nose actually helps you regulate, breathe a little slower, breathe a little less. The nose also is um, supporting you with uh, filtrating, filtering the air you breathe in, um, it hydrates Uh, like moistens the air so it's less of an impact on your lungs it helps change the temperature so that your lungs can absorb it quicker there's a lot of reasons why the nose is there it's a, a very complex system that when the air moves in a lot of really important things are happening before it moves into your lungs so nitric oxide also plays a role in improving clarity of mind through neurotransmission which is just communication within the brain So again, that same concept of vasoregulation, things open up, things are moving more smoothly, which would include for the brain, there's more clarity, things are communicating more smoothly. It strengthens your immune system, it helps relieve stress, um, it has a positive feedback, loop towards better breathing in general the more you breathe through the nose the better breather you're going to become it prevents high blood pressure it lowers cholesterol it keeps your arteries young flexible and removes plaque buildup and clots and reduces risk of heart attack and stroke these are all pretty amazing things and this is just from a chemical inside your nostrils right now so ways to cultivate nitric oxide nasal breathe slow inhale take your time with your inhale really give that nitric oxide some time to move through your body Uh, using humming like I mentioned breath retention at bottom of exhale followed by a slow inhale movement and exercise with nasal breathing Um, increase intake of antioxidants and eat vegetables high in nitrates like cabbage dill turnip um, celery Chinese cabbage fennel leek, parsley, uh, lettuce, beetroot, spinach, I'm sure you can look up online, lots of different vegetables that have nitrates. Um, So James Nestor in the book Breath says that nasal breathing alone can boost nitric oxide sixfold, which is one of the reasons we can absorb about 18% more oxygen than just by breathing through the mouth. So All things that I've shared, if you can just remember like, okay, I'm just going to nasal breathe. I'm going to start there. That's already going to have a huge benefit. Uh, So like I said, it's complex, but it's so simple and important at the same time. Anytime we're learning new information, it can feel a little clunky, especially when it contrasts with what you might already believe about breathing. Um, so take your time with this, choose one piece that you can practice, do your own research. There's a lot of information out there. Um, I've gathered a lot of it and I love putting things into little booklets and teaching workshops and, um, supporting people one-on-one. So if this is something that you feel you really want to get a grasp on, you want to understand it, you want to practice, you want to meet yourself where you're at and develop a program that will um support you and offer you the resources you need to really understand this i would love to help you out uh and i'm hoping that this podcast is helpful that this episode um shed some light on some pieces of breathing that um, already maybe you can put into practice so as usual if you have any feedback anything that was not clear um I don't, you know, if I said something I was going to talk about and then I didn't talk about it, let me know. Um, And in the next few months, as I continue down this path, I would, um, yeah, I'll I'll make another episode and maybe even talk to another real person about breathing and see what comes up because often conversations and stories are a little more fun and a little more easily digestible. So uh, I'm just really grateful that you're listening and um yeah thanks for listening until next time thanks so much for listening you can find me on social media at dopamine that's d-o-p-e-a-m-e or on my website under that same title dopamine.com please subscribe to this podcast if you enjoyed it and do not hesitate to reach out if you have questions or comments i would love to hear what you want to learn more about So until next time, love big and play big. Peace.